welcome back to the OWASP podcast. In this episode, Matt Tassaro, that's me, hosts David Gilman about JWT patterns and anti-patterns. I first met David at LASCON in the fall of 2021 when I sat in on his conference talk. And based on that talk and David's experience with JWTs, we discussed where JSON web tokens, otherwise known as JWTs or JOTs, can help or harm developers who use them. It seems like it, the security around JWTs is kind of a mixed bag. You can use them well, you can use them poorly, and there's not a lot of guardrails, at least in terms of the spec. So hopefully this episode will help you avoid some of those potholes and sharp edges on JWTs if and when you work with them and you're quite likely to work with them because they seem to be all the rage. Enjoy the episode. All right, I'm here with David Gilman and we're going to talk about JOTs um, or JWTs or JSON Web Tokens. So David, for those people who may not know you, can you do a little quick introduction, give us your background? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. So I am a senior security engineer currently at Instacart. I've worked at a few companies in the Austin area and remotely, including some that Austin or Texas listeners may know, like HEB or Favor. And I've worked with JOTs or JWTs in all sorts of different contexts. We met when I was giving a talk on it earlier this year, and you thought it'd make a great subject for this podcast. So I'd love to talk a little bit about it's JOTs in the real world. Nice. Yes, because we do give a jot about jots. I should have used that in my talk. Yeah, it's too late now. Well, you do, do another one. You'll, you can use it then. So just for people who may not be super familiar with what a JWT or a jot is, can you give us a quick overview of what they are, why they were created, their kind of general use case? Absolutely. And I'm glad you introduced them as both the acronym, the slang, or jot somehow JWT turned into J-O-T pronunciation. Uh, and then, of course, what they stand for, JSON Web Token. I told this anecdote to you earlier, but one of my first jobs where we were using JWTs widely, people would use the two terms interchangeably. And I was confused for about a month. I thought we had something called JOTs and JWTs, and they were completely different until I think it just dawned on me that they were <laughs> the same thing. So a JSON Web Token literally is some like a key value pair, JSON, that has been signed with a cryptographic algorithm, you can use multiple different types, whether it's asymmetric or symmetric. Technically, you don't have to sign it at all using uh, algorithm none is a specification that's allowed. And we'll talk about that a little bit more probably, but it will encode this data and then include uh, a cryptographic signature for it and some metadata about it, you know, version, what the signing algorithm that was used. And typically you'll find these in a few different areas. OAuth uh, 2.0 very commonly uses them. You also see them used as session tokens or session cookies or as API keys really all over the place. And people either don't know about them or have very strong opinions about them in my experience. Yeah, it, it seems like JWTs are rather binary. You love them or you hate them. There's a little bit of a middle ground. They're either the, the savior mm -hmm. or the antichrist, right? Depending. Yeah, on like a Vim Emacs situation, Android <laughs> versus iPhone situation. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember also in your talk, you mentioned some other alternatives to JWTs. There was cookies, macaroons, oh shoot, Pasetto, I think is how it's pronounced, or Pasetto, P-A-S-E-T-O. I, I think so, Pasetto, yeah. And that one I hadn't um, heard of, to be honest with you, but the, yeah. the macaroons I'd read about, but can, can you just cover the landscape a little bit by talking quickly about those? Absolutely. As I mentioned, 
since JWTs can be used in a variety of different applications, there's uh, lots of alternatives depending on the context. Of course, if you're thinking about web applications or the session cookies, you could put lots of things in there. You could just take someone's username and password and stick it in your cookie, basically HTTP basic auth that may or may not be a good idea. The classic secure example is 32 random bytes that you store in a DB somewhere. Personally, I think that's like a pretty good solution for a lot of use cases. And then you mentioned a few of the, the alternatives that are a little more less known, perhaps better. Macaroons are an alternative. It's a, basically a pun or wordplay off of cookie, macaroons being a type of cookie. And they allow for interesting use cases. So I mentioned earlier JWTs having this property that they have claims, so information about the user, and then we sign them. But that information could be all sorts of things. It could be a username, a role like admin or user, perhaps an organization that the user token is a member of. With the macaroons, they're building on that. They're adding some secure defaults, which is something that Jots are arguably lacking. That's a criticism of Jots. Uh, does too many things or has too many ways to shoot yourself in the foot. Macaroons attempt to solve some of that to some extent. They also allow this ability for essentially macaroons to grant other macaroons. You can think of this analogous as analogous to the TLS certificates. You have intermediate certs allowing issuing of other certs. So that is some interesting use cases. And then Paceto is, hopefully I'm pronouncing that, but is really leaning on sort of the advantages of JOTS without some of those foot guns. So selecting a set of secure defaults and not allowing for some of the attacks we'll probably talk about later, some of the foot guns that exist in JWTs. Yeah, so Passetto or Passetto or however we say that correctly, is have mm -hmm. basically cleared a path through the minefield and suggest you walk that path. Because I, I did read a little bit about it after you mentioned it, and that seems to be the case where they said, let's take what's uh, best about JWTs and chuck the rest. Because you're right, there's lots of sort of trapdoors and foot cannons built into the spec of JWT. Yeah, exactly. I'm not a cryptographer by trade. And so this analogy may or may not be off. I'm sure a cryptographer will be happy to correct me on Twitter later. But it, it reminds me of something a little bit like an AWS or AES, where it's very popular, has secure implementations, but people frequently shoot themselves in the foot where they'll choose a cipher scheme using AWS that throws a lot of those secure things out of the window. And so some of these other standards like Paceto are baking in what's considered secure by people smarter than me who do cryptography for a living. Yeah, I was around some people smarter than me at Rackspace who did the uh, Python cryptography library. And that the whole mm, idea wow. around that was, hey, let's make some sane choices for people and make it from a developer's point of view, I do a couple of method calls and then I have crypto. And, mm -hmm. and then if you really want to get into the weeds, sure, you can go down into the weeds and change IVs and all this other hoo-ha that's like mm -hmm. the nitty gritty portions of crypto, but they literally prefix that with hazmat. That's excellent. Love. It's a great yeah. signal. Golang's unsafe. But like it just says, don't, you, you can play here. It's part of the language, but oh my, know what you're doing. Absolutely. So we talked about, then we set up what JDFPs are. Why would you choose them for your next app or API or what have you? What's the value prop, <laughs> so to speak? Yeah, good, good question. I try to talk about this a little bit in the talk as well. The, I think coming at it, first of all, from a developer perspective, you might use JWTs for a few reasons. One of them is that at least for a while, they were very popular in that if you were reading blog posts, Hacker News, but not the Hacker News comments, just the posts on web dev Twitter, you'd be seeing all these posts about, hey, 
use JWTs. They're the cool new thing. Session tokens are bad. They're old. Yuck. JWTs are cool and new. But beyond the trendiness, they do offer some feature sets that you don't get out of a traditional like session token, a bearer token, where you are just taking that random string and passing it, basically a key, passing it to backend checks and see, hey, does this token exist? If so, it's valid. Whereas JWTs, one of the things they're offering is the statelessness. So theoretically, instead of having a database full of keys, which could get quite large, sharding and things like that begin to need to take place as you get larger and larger. But JWTs, since in most cases you're signing them with a private key and then issuing them, you could simply verify that signature and then never store the key in, the, in any database. So now you have stateless tokens, you can scale infinitely. Of course, a lot of people who are writing web apps are not writing web apps in the scale that need to even worry about this, but Silicon Valley culture, who cares, right? Like we're going to scale to the moon. We're all going to be the next Uber. So we need to worry about that. Another big advantage that is in like the stateless token kind of claim space is, well, these claims. So you could use them for things like authorization. So embedding a role in the token Instead of having to go do a lookup, depending on your authorization scheme, you could just check what's the role. Maybe even you could embed the whole set of resources that token has access to. That makes a lot of sense when we're thinking about probably some of the better use cases for JWTs, like a, a literal API key, perhaps something we issue, expect to be used in the next 24 hours to make a call to a specific endpoint. But for sessions, it could it's easy to imagine how that could get out of hand quickly. When we're changing resources, adding new ones, removing them, changing permissions, we are going to have a JWT with a set of claims that's going to drift very quickly. And that's, we can talk about this in a second, but that's also another common criticism or issue with JWTs, session tokens at least, is if you have a stateless token, what happens when you want to invalidate it? Because when you issue it, it's theoretically valid until you either get rid of the signing key or if you have a TTL on it, that TTL expires. And, and you could want to expire it, obviously, before the TTL happens for reasons, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that in the SaaS, in the web, web application security space, we're frequently dealing with things like account takeovers. If we're doing right practices, then we may want to allow users to delete their tokens when they log out. Or we may want to allow users to change their password, remove those past tokens. If, we have like an admin account and an account takeover occurs, it would be quite bad if that token's just valid for 12 hours. So then you get into situations where you're having to tell management, okay, and the auth solution we designed to stop this account takeover, we have to log everyone in our application out. And you can imagine the business being pretty upset about that. Yeah, that wouldn't go over well. I've just handed a hacker a golden ticket and we're going to let him have some fun for a while. Probably not. And just like, basically bouncing the app in terms of authenticated users. Also probably not a, a winner from a uh, yep. talking with management perspective. So exactly, you, you've hinted on some of the dark side of um, mm -hmm. JWTs. Is there anything else you wanted to, do you want to expand on that? It seems like there are a few landmines there. Yeah, there definitely are a few and you can find a lot of blog posts or hacker news comments or tweets uh, about both the cryptographic shortcomings and the engineering shortcomings. I guess I want to touch on one point as well, which was the, the kind of revocation aspect. So what do you do when you know, it's the first question that comes up when you start trying to design authorization system or authentication system around this. And typically what happens is 
a, a block list is implemented. So you could put that in a SQL database or maybe a Redis cache or something similar. But you'll notice that now we have a database again. The database is smaller, which is nice because it's only a list of tokens that haven't expired yet, but we want to invalidate. But now we've added a check to a database on every single API call. So it just feels like we're doing session tokens again. And there's some really smart people at really great companies doing this approach, and they've accepted that trade-off. It's feasible for our scale to have a list of tokens that are invalid, I think is usually the argument or the benefits we get from JWTs outweigh this cost. But I'd point out that common implementation of JWTs is essentially they're no longer stateless, which is supposed to be one of the main guarantees. So I think that's one of the disadvantages for sure is that whole revocation engineering thing you have to start doing, which is not in the spec. The spec does not account for that, but to use it in the real world, it's basically what everyone does. Because yeah, you'd like to have that revo revo uh, revocation ability. And presumably one of the choices you, you made or the, the deciding factors for your choice of JWT is I want to decouple myself from some number of DB calls, because mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's stateless. And then suddenly you're like, yes, we're using this wonderful stateless thing and we only have to do a few DB calls. I don't mm -hmm. think that word means what you think that word means, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's unfortunate too. And I think this is one of the, the double-edged sword aspects of JWTs is my talk was, was anti-patterns and patterns for JWTs. So cases where let's say you have to use them as a security engineer, like what can you do to make them more secure? Or if you're implementing them, what can you do good or what, what should you avoid? And I think with that in mind, the double-edged sword is the, one of the bad things about JWTs is they're often used in place of very battle test framework implemented authentication schemes. So if you're using some framework that already comes with a whole session layer, you should probably just use that. Like whether it's built on JWTs or traditional tokens, just leave the authentication to people who are experts or at least has passed a lot of hours of deployment time instead of trying to do it yourself. I think it's always a good approach to authentication. On the other hand, I think a great case to use JWTs is when it's buying you security because maybe you're using some sort of federated identity solution that happens to use JWTs under the hood. And whatever the shortcomings of JWTs are, you're probably still getting a net security win. I think that's one of those, you know, talked about kind of religious wars, BIM and Emacs, JOTS or not. And I think the nuance there is you could still get a net security win in a solution that has JOTS involved when it's coming with some advantages and maybe someone else is, is implementing them for you. So you don't have to worry about all the foot guidance yourself. Completely agree with that. We talked about some problems and general overview of, of JWTs or JOTS. What are some wrong ways to use? When am I using my peg in a square hole kind of mm -hmm. situation? Where does that come into place? I touched on a little bit, but I think that generally speaking, if you're implementing something from scratch, especially if you're a small business, a startup, a side project, you should just choose whatever your framework gets to you, whether it's jobs under the hood or sessions under the hood. Just let the framework take care of that as much as possible and don't meddle with it yourself. So trying to implement your own JWT implementation on top of some popular library is just asking to do something wrong. I think that also with JWT, there's a lot of ways you can use them wrong and whether or not your use case is good, there's ways to mess them up, which is one of the main criticism, right? Is all the potential foot guns. One is... I touched on this, so these claims, that's the key piece of this is that key value pairs are called claims. 
And as I said earlier, can include all sorts of things really, because it's just key value data. But something that's frequently confused is that just because these are signed and encoded does not mean they're encrypted, which uh, we'll just say, you know, pretend security engineers never make that mistake since it's one of those security 101 questions hiring managers always ask like interns. And we'll say it's just devs who are making that confusion. But just, yeah, just because it's encoded and signed doesn't mean it's secret. So putting social security numbers, passwords, or other secrets in there is a recipe for disaster. It, it's the secrets and cookies all over again. They just happen to be basic yep. and encoded, so they look funny. Exactly. But they're, but they're just as readable as, as a cookie used to be, or it still is. To this exactly. This is another one I've seen, and this is for cookies too, but there's a lot of confusion around like cookies versus jots. Like you see that all the time if you search cookies versus jots. But that's obviously a bit of a misconception because cookies are a thing your browser stores for you and jots are spec for signing some JSON. And you can put jots and cookies and people often do. I think what people are referring more to is like traditional session tokens versus JWTs. But in that same vein, people like to say, oh, it's more secure to store them in local storage for some reason. So in your browser, a, a somewhat newer way besides cookies of storing things is to put them in local storage. Local storage though doesn't come with some of those nice add-ons we've had for cookies now, like HTTP only or other cookie flags. And so it creates potential XSS. It removes some of that protection against XSS you might've had otherwise. So I really wouldn't recommend it, but I would say that also applies to traditional session tokens. But sometimes people say, oh, it's not a session cookie. So I can do things with it I wouldn't otherwise. I think that another one is weak HMAC secrets. So you can sign it symmetrically or asymmetrically. Typically you're looking at HMAC or RSA with that. And very commonly as a CTF problem I've seen as well is uh, weak HMAC secrets. So if you're using an HMAC construct and you sign it with, this is a password as your password or something human readable, it can be easily brute forced because you're handing out these tokens to everybody. Um, if they're sufficiently long, you know, 32 bytes, 64 bytes of randomness, brute forcing is going to be mathematically prohibitive. But if you make them short or human readable, then anyone can just take them, run their laptop against it for 24 hours and crack your signing key and issue whatever tokens they'd like and your server will trust them. Yeah, that was that's one of the, there's few hills I'll die on, but that's one that I will die on uh, for the rest of my days is when you see these like short human readable keys for crypto in code and you're like, well, I don't want to have to type mm -hmm. 32 characters of random. Well, one, if you have a language worth its salt, it can generate the random for you. But two, mm -hmm. like even if you have to copy and paste that thing in, it's one time. No one's typing yeah. that thing. It's not like you're using it to log in. It doesn't have to be my super secret. Mm -hmm. It should just be long string of gibberish. Why? It just, that, ugh, that drives me nuts. When yeah. I see that it, when doing code reviews, you're like, please. <laughs> Oh. And ideally, in a perfect world, you would never even see it. You'd use like a vault or something that generates it for you and you just abstract it away. That's you know, a different topic, but that's one of the things I like about vault and similar tools is sort of the opposite of you hand someone a hammer and everything looks like a nail. If you hand someone like a really cool toolkit, they're going to want to play with it. So you show someone, hey, look at this thing called vault. And it has all these APIs for dealing with secrets and getting them and generating them. And people tend to want to play with that. So I, I think that's a lot better. Obviously, the less people ever look at a secret, the better.
Yep, 100% agree. Yeah, the vault stuff has been really fantastic. It's been a wonderful change. I had to do some early days of my AppSec work where that wasn't a thing. And it was really interesting to make. We actually had a, a build system that would do a dance where the developers would put in a known string in for the password. And then at build time, we'd actually do some substitutions and swap those out. So it, it functionally worked like a vault. Uh, it was a cool. compiled language. So it, it worked fairly well. And then you could actually have we put an interface so that this is for DB creds in this case. The DBAs could put in the creds into the system that the developers didn't have access to. And th that would be what would get injected at build time into the final nice. binary. Yeah, it was really pretty yeah, good. I mean, for the dream. Yeah, that was forever ago. Shoot, that was 2006, I think. It was a long time ago. And it was super crazy cool that we, we sorted that out. But yeah, it was hard. Like Vault has really made life a lot easier for people to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that applies here as well, even if it's only a tiny piece of it. We could keep talking about some more bad things if you want. There's quite a few ways that those anti-patterns, as I said. I think that's probably, I would like to at least give a good coverage of them so that our listeners have an idea of where the minds are. I don't know that we have to be mm -hmm. super extensive with it, but yeah, if you want, sure. if some more that you want to mention, I think we should warn people about the ways they can remove a foot. Absolutely. I guess I'll mention one more that I've seen a lot. And this one is interesting uh, because it's used in standards and services that I think are secure or that I would recommend using. But it's this refresh access token pattern. This is where the short version of it is that you have two JWTs. One is a normal token. Uh, it gets attached to requests for authentication, but it's very short-lived. Secondly, you have a refresh token. And this token is longer lived and its only job is to get new access tokens. So refresh access token pattern. Again, I know there are secure implementations of this or ones that appear to be secure, but in terms of rolling your own, I'd really recommend against it. Some of the justification I've seen for it is that it makes it harder to steal the, the refresh token because it's not going over the wire as much. I'd say 2022, it's a pretty solved problem in my opinion. We have good TLS. We have support for it. If someone can intercept one request, they can probably intercept them all. And so sending a token every 15 minutes instead of every request really isn't buying you anything, in my opinion. Also, the idea that you can somehow secure the refresh token more. So why not just have one token, secure that? And then once you start having two sets of tokens, you're going to start shooting yourself in the foot for sure. Um, or if you're not, the dev who comes in after you is because they're going to see this and say, oh, we could add some access to the refresh token or something else terrible. And then you have two tokens and some pen tester is going to have a really cool critical finding next year. Yeah, and just complexity. That's That never helps security and as a general rule. And, and like you said, doing this two token dance I'm sure you mm -hmm. can do it right. You can you can write really rugged C, but you can also write C that has bleeds memory all over the place and exactly is is not so great. So yeah, anytime you can avoid those sort of anything that that adds complexity without really giving you a bang for the buck, I would tend to run away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I guess we've talked about the bad. What's what are the good? Mm -hmm. What is a good implementation? If I want to do this right, what's the the pattern versus our anti-pattern? Yeah, we talked about revocation a little bit. I think that if you management's come to you and told you, hey, we're doing jobs, make it secure, and you've already lost that battle, or perhaps you're coming in and you're working with in a large application or company, 
you just kind of have to accept where you're at. There's a, there's a few things. I think that in the replication space, using a cache or in-memory DB is great. This is more a performance thing, but having storing those invalidated tokens as uh, like key value pairs in a DB. So in Redis, just checking to see, hey, does this exist in there? And having the TTL in Redis equal the TTL for the token itself means you're going to have this like small in-memory DB, relatively inexpensive, very quick to hit. You could even put it running as like a sidecar in your edge service or something. And while Redis has its own security issues, like until recently, basically having no authentication and things like that, it's still potentially like a performant way to implement that revocation that you need in the real world. I think also if you're using Jots already, you could look at using them for service to service auth. Service auth is one of those things that whether you, yeah, STS auth or beyond core, whatever you're calling it, or beyond core, I know it isn't exactly analogous, but it certainly fits into that same sort of bucket. You could take advantage of like Jots to implement some of that. And what I mean by that is whether or not you're using them outside the network, you could create these tokens for connections inside the network where a request has a token that has some sort of you know, set of those claims and then different services can validate those claims and make sure the request is properly authorized, maybe with a sidecar of some kind. But if you want to do authorization inside your network, I think Jots could be a way to do that. Additionally, I think there's some hardening that I'd recommend. So we talked about Paceto, how it's basically enforcing secure defaults for your, uh, instead of JWTs. But right. if you're using JWTs instead of Paceto, then you could look at hard coding these. So you mentioned some ways that in the past you've seen security engineers or developers create secure defaults or create libraries, those dangerous, or was it radioactive, hazardous? Uh, hazmat, yeah, for the cryptography hazmat, of yeah. Python, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think in the same way, you could tell you, you can create wrappers for whatever uh, JWT library you want. So one common attack against JWTs is switching the algorithm or setting the algorithm to none. So in the sort of metadata telling the backend, hey, there's no signing algorithm here. And very commonly, these libraries have just keeled over and said, oh, well, if you say there's no need for an algorithm, fine with me, just issue whatever claims you want. And so a way to enforce against that is to just write your own wrapper code where you validate, you hard code whatever algorithm you want, you hard code that there is a given secret. And then you tell the devs, hey, this is your Jot library called this Jot verify function and this Jot sign function. And you can apply those security controls for them. Those kind of fixes because, or controls or whatever you want to call them. Because uh, those fall into a bucket of what I would call like greppable things. I can mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do a little bit of sem grep and look at my mm -hmm. code and find out that yes, my you know, all of my apps are calling this thing like they should. I'm good. And those are simple, easy, high fidelity tests you can add into CI/CD to sort of kill this early. Yeah, absolutely. That's I don't know if you've done anything on SemGrep. You should probably talk to the contributors instead of me about it. But yeah, whether you're using SemGrep or another. Uh, static analysis tool or literally just like grab checks you've written yourself. I, I totally agree. And I think that's a pattern that more and more teams are using is to enforce those sort of good faith checks where you're not trying to completely block everything, but instead just looking for, Hey, we have the paved road here. Let's just double check your work and make sure you're using it. 
right? Yeah, you've got a little off the path. I'm going to nudge you in the right direction as opposed to, mm-hmm. to beat you up at the end of the, the dev cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are beautiful. I, I really do. That. I'm a big fan of those kind of quick and, and dirty. Uh, and before SEMGREP, I did write a lot of just greps and even some just custom mm-hmm. code to parse stuff out. But it is highly valuable because they run in microseconds. They're so quick. Yeah. You can easily add it to CICD and you're not adding minutes to a build or anything. Very nice. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Anything else you want to say about Jots? I think we've done a pretty good job of covering what they are, how to use them, how not to use them. Have I missed anything? Is there anything that I should have asked you that I haven't? No, I would just recommend for folks who are interested in learning more or are dealing with this every day, if they haven't already, to look at a few things. One would be the actual Jot RFC, RFC 7519. I have that written down. I don't have that memorized. Fortunately, I don't have to work with JWT so often. I have it memorized, but I think it's an interesting read as far as RFCs go, at least. You can see what they had in mind when they were developing it. And I alluded to this earlier, but it's really interesting to see what's part of using JOTS today. What's the landscape for JOTS that was never in the RFC, these sort of revocation lists and things like that. Additionally, there's a really interesting RFC that was published in 2020, 87.25, which is best practices. It's both for users of libraries as well as implementers of libraries, but that's interesting too, because it's, it has a feel of, okay, five years on after we published this RFC, here's all the ways people have screwed up. Here's kind of what we didn't foresee. And taking a look at that will give you a good idea of how to attack them and, and how to defend them. I'd also look at those, do some searches and look at the macaroons, the, the Pacetto, consider maybe if something a little less popular, but potentially more secure, that's your use case as well. Yeah, certainly for Greenfield, that would be fantastic. If you have that, that mm-hmm. choice, you're not inheriting a, a scheme. One, one other something that I do as part of the podcast, I started two episodes ago or so, was mm-hmm. I have a deck of cards from the Basecamp card company, and they are playing just a normal playing deck of cards, but they also have questions like icebreaker questions. My daughter happens to be okay. an RA. She, we got her that for Christmas. And I actually was like, oh, these are actually cool. I'm doing a podcast. Hey, they're going to become part of the podcast. So I have randomly shuffled the deck prior to our uh, talk and I have the card off the top. So here goes, completely unrelated to Jots. Which milestone are you most proud of reaching thus far? Sure, yeah, what a broad question. I think that probably career-wise, at least, just being able to be someone who can give back at least a little bit security community-wise. I remember being in school and feeling like security is very deep field and I'm still in like the the part of the iceberg above the water, I think, in terms of my knowledge and skills, but it's cool to see how a couple of years in the industry, taking some time to, to read a lot and whatnot, you can at least gain enough knowledge to maybe shoot yourself in the foot or help other people not shoot themselves in the foot, even though it's still an infinite amount of knowledge that I don't have. I've definitely found that the sort of giving back to the community is not only just personally rewarding, but you learn a lot. Like I, I can't tell you how many times after a talk at a conference, I've had some random person come up and say, hey, I heard your talk and we have this weird situation at work. And they give you a perspective on an issue that you never would have seen. I, I've learned mm. all kinds of crazy junk. This is why I format of a 
haul track <laughs> for the podcast because just having conversations with other security professionals, you can learn a lot of stuff because Big Corp 1 doesn't do things like Startup 2, does nothing like Big Corp 3. They're all very different. They all have little nuances about them. And until you get out in the field for a chunk of time, it, it is hard to, to get back. And good Lord, there's more than enough work to go on. Like <laughs> you can give away all your secret sauce and still be working just fine. It's not like someone's yeah, going to absolutely. you. Absolutely. And I, I think too, there's a lot to be said. I'm a fan of kind of the written memo culture that I think has become even more popular with remote work over the last two years. And I think the same thing applies for conference talks or similar, where when you really try to get to know an issue to do a talk on it, you're going to learn stuff that you didn't know. And you're going to realize that you, knew, you thought you knew some things that are wrong. So getting that all on a deck or a memo, I think really helps learn a topic as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing like quasi teaching about something to, to make you uh, learn it. Absolutely. Thank you for this. This has been wonderful. I appreciate your, your giving a, a little bit of time on JOTS today or JWTs. This was really good. Hopefully our listeners will get something out of it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. It was a pleasure. All right. Take care. I'd like to thank No Name Security for making it possible for me to record this episode. No Name is a complete and proactive API security platform that protects APIs in real time and detects vulnerabilities and misconfigurations before they can be exploited. No Name is an out-of-band solution that integrates with your existing infrastructure to provide deeper visibility and security. Please give them a look.